Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to Octopulse, our Detroit News, Detroit Red Wings podcast, now in year four of the Steve Eiserman Rebuild. I'm Detroit News Assistant Sports Editor Mark Faulkner, joined, as always, by our Red Wings beat reporter Ted Colfin. Coming up, we'll hear from a possible future Red Wing, Cutter Goche, a power forward with USA Hockey. But first, Ted... The Red Wings search for a new coach. At least six teams have openings. Detroit, Dallas, Philadelphia, Vegas, Winnipeg, and Boston. Two teams have interim coaches, Chicago and Florida. Now, we've talked about some of the candidates of veterans like Barry Trotz, Mike Babcock, Claude Julian, Paul Maurice, Rick Tockett, assistants like Derek Lalonde, Mike Vellucci, Spencer Carberry, and AHL coach Ben Gruel. But, Ted, how about the latest news this week? Bruce Cassidy is available now, fired on Monday. He had the second-best winning percentage behind John Cooper the past six seasons. He coached in Grand Rapids just as Detroit was taking over the team. And he kind of kept the Bruins ahead of the wings when Detroit put together that modest pressure for a wild-card spot this year. In your opinion, Ted, what are the pros and cons of, of hiring Cassidy? First up, I, I don't know about you, Mark, but I was flabbergasted. I mean, mm -hmm. this is a guy who's coached that team to over 100 points every year, uh, just runs a well-run operation. I was, I thought he got qu actually quite a bit out of that roster this year, maybe a little mm -hmm. more than expected. Yeah. I was flabbergasted. I don't, I'm not sure what direction they're headed in, but I can't see them finding too much of a better coach than Bruce Cassidy. Uh, sure, add him to the list. I mean, he's, you know, he's going to be, well, I, from what I've heard from people, I guess he's already been contacted by numerous teams. Mm -hmm. It would be an interesting catch. I, um, you, you, I mean, you're a little hesitant because there were whispers he doesn't get along well with young, well, mm -hmm. he doesn't work as well with younger players and maybe the communication skills aren't the best, uh, evidently. Uh, He's not afraid to call people out. So I guess, well, at that point, <laughs> by that assumption, he's also very accountable. So that's what Mr. Steve Eiserman's looking for. So there's a lot of pros and cons, just like any other uh, candidate. But no, Mark, I, I'd have to say mm -hmm. you, got, you have to add him to the list. We'll see. I mean, he's there's obviously there's a lot of other options out there. So... A lot depends on what Cassidy's thinking, and well, is this an uh, is this a job that people want? Right. right now? I mean, compared to other jobs, maybe, maybe not. Uh, but it's, I tell you, my friend, it is a long, lengthy list of candidates, isn't it? Ted, uh, earlier today on Thirty Two Thoughts, Elliot Friedman said that several people have told him they wouldn't be surprised if Steve Eiserman is waiting to talk to all the Tampa Bay assistant coaches: Derek Lalonde, Jeff Halpern, Rob Zettler. Now, you included Lalonde on your list of intriguing coaches mm -hmm. hired by Eiserman in Tampa Bay. 
it would kind of make sense after Bowman, Babcock, and Blaschel. Eisenman sticking to the Tampa Bay template, two straight Stanley Cups, and maybe a third straight final with the Lightning one game away. Would you hire Lalonde, Ted? I'd have to do more research on a man. Frankly, I don't know him that mm-hmm. well. But from what I've heard, a lot of people like all three of those p- candidates. I mean, they've all done nice jobs in Tampa. Mm-hmm. They work well. Uh, they've been part of a winning organization. And I think most importantly, Steve Eiserman knows them and has worked with them, I guess, in par- at least in part, mm-hmm. there at the end. So and it seems like that would be a very interesting, not very interesting, very important aspect of all this for Eiserman. So, no, I mean, it's not a shock at all that he's probably waiting for Tampa's season to end and talk to those three. And mm-hmm. like I said, from what I gather, they're all three strong candidates and probably would fit well here with the operation. Ted, no matter what the Wings do with Lalonde, Halpern, or Zettler, could you see Iserman making a big pitch for free agent Andre Pilat? The Lightning probably won't be able to afford Pilat, but somehow they're able to do things in this salary cap era. Braden Point's contract kicks in this year, and they still have Sergachev, Sorelli, and Chernik coming up to sign next year. Now, Palat's 30. He's making $5.3 million. In fact, Eisenman signed him to a five-year, $26 million contract, which is running out. Palat scored again last night. That's 11 playoff goals since 2016, more than any other player, a Marion Hossa-type player. How good would Palat look with Eisenman's winged wheel team, Ted? I don't think he's interested probably in this type of situation right now. And there's probably contender. There would be contenders out there who probably value him more, maybe like our New York Rangers. I mean, that would be a possibility or he seems that that would be a good fit for the Bruins too. Maybe a guy like that. I don't, I don't know. I, I just, I don't see him. Frankly, I think, I don't know would he really be a significant improvement over the top six that they have already mm-hmm. here. Good question. I mean, I don't know if that would be a really big improvement per se. So, no, he does add a lot of variables. He's a heck of a player, but I just don't see if I don't see that being a, a fit right now for this team. These things are really tricky. They really are. I mean, it, this has to be the right type of player, the right type of contract. A lot, so much goes into it too. Whether the player wants to come here and it's a hmm. destination they want. I don't know. It will be an interesting free agent season, though. It does seem like there's a few teams out there that have a little bit of room to spend, so that'll make it interesting. But there's time for to analyze that here in the next few weeks. Let's move on now to our interview segment. Today's special guest is USA Hockey's Cutter Gauthier, who would be a valuable addition up the middle for the Red Wings. Joining us now is 18-year-old forward Cutter Gauthier of the National Team Development Program in Plymouth. In the third-ranked North American skater in Central Scouting's final rankings for the NHL draft in Montreal. Cutter, welcome to the podcast. I talked to one of your assistant coaches, Nick Four, who is just promoted and is now the head coach of the U-17s. He's really excited for that position. He's filling out his coaching staff and getting ready for a new group of players coming in for orientation. But he said one of the turning points in your two years with the program, Cutter, was how you handled not being named to the World U18s in Dallas last year. Looking back now, and you played in this year's U18s in Germany, you had nine points in six games, and Team USA won a silver medal. But 
What was it like when you didn't go to Dallas? And how do you think you responded back here in Plymouth under Adam Nightingale, Nick Four, and the rest of the coaching staff? Yeah, it was disappointing, obviously, not being able to make that team as an underager and represent your country um, at the highest level over at Worlds in Dallas. But it's something that I took personally, and it's something that I used to help me uh, motivate myself every single day to get better and better so that if that any other opportunity like that were to come up again, I would tackle it with full advantage. Cutter, I also asked Nick Four about your best position. You're listed as a winger. Now, your coach thinks you'll break in on the wing, but once you're established after Boston College and your first few years as a pro, he could see you established as a center. Do you have a preference, Cutter? And what are the biggest differences in your mind between playing on the wing and center? Yeah, I think that's one thing that I developed over uh, the past couple of years now, that versatility, um, mm-hmm. whether it's playing left wing, right wing, or center, kind of just giving the coach uh, any option to put me in and feel comfortable with that. You know, I've played left wing mostly this season, and I felt pretty comfortable with it, making plays off the wall and playing a good uh, defensive game. But I've also felt really comfortable playing center a little bit this year as well, as I can control the pace of play on the offensive and defensive side of the puck and help contribute. Cutter, NHL scouts and analysts often ask about comparables, players that you pattern yourself after. I just spoke with Finland's Joachim Kemmel. He's a top 10 pick, too, a right winger. His favorite players were David Pasternak and Nathan McKinnon. And when I talked to your centerman, Logan Cooley, his coach, Adam Nightingale, says Logan reminded him of Sebastian Ajo. A lot of names there, Cutter, but I just wonder if there's any players that stand out that you have watched and sort of might consider pattern your, your game after. Yeah, my coach, uh, Coach Nightingale, uh, thought I played a lot like Pierre-Luc Dubois. Okay. And I think that as well. And my personal player comp- comparison uh, would be Mark Shifley. I think both those players play a really hard physical uh, skill game and can really change the, uh, the game for the better. Cutter, I also talked to your dad and your family's decision to move to Detroit here from Scottsdale, Arizona. And for our listeners, a bit of background. Your dad was a goalie who was drafted by the Winnipeg Jets. He played 10 years in the minors and one game with the San Jose Sharks. In fact, Cutter, I saw your dad, Sean Goche, play goal in the OHL with the Kingston Frontenacs in 1991. That team won only 15 games that year, Cutter, and your dad was in goal for all 15 (laughs) victories, 59 of the 60 Six games, yeah. So after 10 years in the minors, he played four years in Sweden, where you were born, and then you moved to Scottsdale, where he said you skated in the same rink, a converted furniture store with Arizona's Austin Matthews. Could you talk a little bit about that move, though, from your perspective? Your dad said it was a huge decision, and your mom said, we're moving together, and your dad wanted you, you have two sisters, he wanted you to grow up with them, to be in the same house together but how how did you see that because we're looking at 2017 you're in the 2004 birth class so you're young you're 13 and you're heading here to Detroit what are your thoughts what do you remember about that cutter yeah it was a big decision uh, especially at such a young age you don't really know what's best for you and for your development and with my dad playing pro for such a long time he thought it was best for mm-hmm. me to move out of the desert and move out to Uh, Michigan that's where I am today and it's paid off and without that big decision for my parents and them making that sacrifice to change their lives from Arizona over to Michigan I wouldn't be where I am today so I couldn't thank them enough. What a contrast as well Cutter because your dad had to move away from home at age 15 
your mom just couldn't believe you. You had to leave at that age. Your dad went to the Oakville Blades, the Kingston Raiders before playing in the OHL. Maybe you could talk a bit about the level of coaching here because your dad said with coaches, I'll forget some names, Cutter, but Mike Hamilton, Kevin Hatcher, uh, Jason Deskins, Brian Barnes, all these people. Your dad said that you learned more in the first few years in his hockey hotbed in Michigan than he learned in his first couple years in the minor leagues. How can you sort of like quantify or tell us what you learned about skating, about systems, about competing, and about having fun here as you were moving up the ranks? Yeah, it's crazy how time is completely relevant (laughs) here. Um, You know, it's like we have all the resources now, and, you know, there's really nothing that you can't go out and do and back then in the day when my dad was trying to make it there's there were some circumstances that weren't really relevant nowadays and it was tougher for him I'd say with uh, the lack of eyes and lack of social media and stuff like that and it's something that he had to compete through as well as others growing up um, in the good old days so I think that he by him going through that kind of shows me that you know Mm -hmm. it's, it's a hard path to get up to and something that motivated me to get to where I am. Cutter, what were some of the highlights here in Michigan with Honeybaked and CompuWare and some of the strong teams that you guys were a part of? I wrote a story about that Honeybaked team a couple of years ago. You weren't on that team, but that draft had 36 players taken in the OHL draft. And conversely, just this past OHL draft, there were only about 20 local players, a bit of a down year, but 36 players that you were competing against, uh, teammates now like Frank Nazar, Nemesnikov. It was a loaded team. I'm just wondering where some of the highlights were as you were learning the game and growing up here in Michigan. Yeah, you know, it's it's not like that over in Arizona. In Arizona, you're the man of the man of the arena. You're playing it like it doesn't sure. matter where you're playing, you're the best guy on the ice. And when I moved over to Michigan, I, I was still like that, but it was adjusting because there's players out here that were so much better than what I played with over in Arizona. And it helped me personally grow as a player, competing with those guys every day in practice and getting me up physically and mentally and all those type of aspects that you need in the game today at such a young age. And it helped me a lot. Cutter, you're probably often asked about your first name, Cutter, and how that name came to be. I asked your dad and he said it was your grandmother on your mom's side that the names came down to Crosby, Hayden, or Cutter. When you guys tell the story, how did you get the name, and what do you think of your rather unique first name? Yeah, so from what I've heard from my parents is that my grandma on my mom's side, like you said, came up um, Mm -hmm. with it. It was in a – it was a Swedish cookbook where she found it. Uh, I think my mom (laughs) was in the hospital and she was like trying to find out new recipes or whatever it may be because we were in Sweden over in that time and she found Cutter and that really stuck with them and that's my name today. I like it. It's unique. You don't hear it often and it's pretty cool. Cutter, just a couple of more questions. Uh, The Red Wings connection. Chris Draper, how far back does that go since he coached in the Little Caesars system? Your dad knows Chris Draper, of course. In fact, your dad played with Draper in the Winnipeg system in Moncton. In fact, your dad said he was there the day when Chris Draper was traded to Detroit for $1. There seems to be a connection there between Draper, the four-time Stanley Cup champion, and the director of amateur scouting. Can you tell us a bit about when you first met Chris Draper and stories maybe your dad may have told you about 
you know, his friendship with Draper. Yeah, growing up, he was he was part of the Little Caesars program, like you said, and I was the rivals over at Honey Bacon. He was coaching over there, I'm pretty sure, and we played them a couple times uh, throughout the season and always battles. You know, after the game, you always shake hands and shook his hand. He's, he said, great game. It was really nice to meet you. And I said the same for him. And it was pretty cool meeting such a legend at such a young age, especially playing mm-hmm. him. And it was awesome. You know, my dad's talked about a little bit on how they played together and how he's a great guy. And he's doing a great job in Detroit as they're becoming a contender, uh, hopefully pretty soon there. Um, so it's pretty fun to watch those guys down there in Detroit. And uh, he's got a He's doing a big part. Cutter, what are your thoughts if Detroit does draft you? You're ranked somewhere between 1 and 10. The Wings are drafting at 8. There are many drafts that have you going 4, 5, 6, or 7 before the Wings. Again, you've grown up here, and our audience now knows that you know, you've come up through Honey Baked and CompuWare, and you've played around the corner here for a couple of years. What would that mean if the Wings, if you did wind up in Detroit with the 8th pick? Yeah, it'd be – awesome you know Detroit Red Wings have such history and the great program you know being a one of the original six and it's kind of my second home out here in Michigan I've lived yeah. in Arizona for the same amount of time now in Arizona as Michigan now so it's pretty cool going down to Detroit and watching those, those games uh you know Little Caesar Arena is such a beautiful place as it's pretty brand new and it's it, I'd love to play there you know a great organization like I said and yeah we'll see on draft day and Cutter just to wrap things up even when you look at your dad's career, just one year, Cutter, when he was in the San Jose system, this was the list of goalies ahead of your dad, Hedberg, Vernon, Shields, Nabokov, and Kiprasov, who led the Calgary Flames to the Stanley Cup final. I just wonder what your thoughts are again. You, you touched on it earlier about your dad and, and moving you into like a hockey hotbed and moving the family. But I wonder again, some of the lessons that you've learned from your dad about the discipline you've learned and just how difficult that next step can be. Yeah, you know, making the NHL is not something easy. If it was easy, I feel like everyone would do it, right? Right. So I feel that all the little things play a big role into that, and that's some things my dad taught me, like work ethic, passion. you got to love the sport to make it and play, uh, like as a job, uh, some people say. But, yeah, for – for the most part, he's, he's taught me work ethic is a big one. You know, outside yeah. the rink, what are you doing better than players to get to the next level? Are you eating right? Are you sleeping right? Are you doing all the little things so that when that day comes and that opportunity comes, you take full advantage of it or you let it slip? So that's a big one he's preached on me, and it's something I've done really well and plan to keep on doing. Cutter, thanks so much for your time today talking to us about your two years with uh, USA Hockey, Honey Baked Hockey, CompuWare, growing up in Sweden briefly in Scottsdale and now Michigan. All the best between now and the draft and going forward in your hockey career. Thank you. I appreciate you taking the time. Our thanks again to Cutter Goche. Ted, let's take a look now at two Red Wing prospects that you wrote about this week at DetroitNews.com. Six-foot-six goalie Sebastian Kosa, who is 15-2 now in the playoffs for the Edmonton Junior Kings, and six-foot-eight forward Elmer Soderblom, who signed a three-year entry-level contract after leading Frolunda with 21 goals. First, here's Steve Eiserman on Sebastian Kosa's progress. He's a 19-year-old playing in junior hockey in Western Canada. He's had a pretty good year. Um, is he ready to play in the NHL next year? I would say today. I'd, I'd have to say no. Uh, 
he, he, um, I think he's a ways away that, you know, to manage the kind of the expectation of him. He's on a very good team at Edmonton in the Western league. Uh, I'm, I'm following their playoffs closely for the most part. He's had a pretty good year. He's had a pretty good start to the playoffs. Uh, you know, selfishly, I'm hoping his team goes very far. That would be great for him. Great experience for him where he plays next year. Um, you know, we won't determine that until the off season. So uh, I, I don't expect him to, to see him at the NHL level next year uh, at all. And, and to what extent, when I really have no idea at this point, but uh, he's a good young prospect. That's a tough position as we always know, as we all know, excuse me. And, and not that I want to rush anybody. I'm definitely not, you know, going to, you know, rush a goaltender. Um, I'm just going to let his play determine at which level he'll play at even next year for that matter. Ted, you heard Steve Eiserman there. They're not going to rush Kosa. He's only 19 and he'll likely be in Grand Rapids to start the season. As you wrote in your story at DetroitNews.com. given that goaltenders take a lot longer to develop, and the Wings are trying to manage the expectations of the next Andre Vasilevsky. When can Red Wings fans realistically expect Kosa to make his debut at Little Caesars Arena? Tough to tell, Mark. I'd say, what, maybe two or three years probably, I would think, minimum. Mm -hmm. uh, but, boy, I, you talk about an intriguing prospect. Both these people are. I mean, Kosa, just the size with Kosa and the athleticism and the success he's had in junior hockey. I mean, I mean, you talk to scouts and – yeah, I mean, he's definitely a, 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 a lot of potential there. And just you got to love the size and the athleticism there in net. I mean, he's I mean, he's played so well for a good junior team, too. So exciting. I mean, definitely a, a, a you know potential number one goaltender down the line. And, Ted, let's wrap up with your story today at DetroitNews.com. Elmer Soderblom's breakout season, 21 goals, in 52 games for Fralunda. Here's Steve Eiserman again. The staff was pretty aware that he was really starting to make strides and come along. And, uh, you know, this year now we, you know, on, you know, we get to see on Twitter or Instagram, some of the, the, the spectacular goals, even the one he scored, I think yesterday, the day before, They're pretty fun to watch. It's pretty encouraging. Um, uh, is he a huge surprise for us at this point? Um, based on what he's done over the last couple of years, his progress, we're, you know, we're pretty excited about it. Um, it sure is a, a pleasant surprise, you know, um, but we've said, you know, we can't, we need, we need some surprises within our drafts. We can't just expect to pick in the top 10 every year, get a good player. It's going to take a long time to build your, a team that way that we need some of these players that are second through seventh rounders to make it. They're not all going to uh, make it, but looks like he's got a, a good opportunity. He's real, again, you, you, you see the highlights. You may have seen some of his games, but he's a really good athlete. He's a big yeah. man, big young man, you know, but he's very, very athletic and his, his jumping ability his uh, coordination and whatnot. And, and that bodes well, bodes well for the future. And generally the kind of uh, maybe an unscientific rule is seems to be the big guy, the guys that are bigger, that uh, it takes them a little bit longer to kind of grow into their body, so to speak. And he looks to be doing that. But I remember when we had him over here two years ago in training camp and we do some fitness tests and uh, it was, it was pretty exciting to see where he was at. It wasn't like, Oh, when this guy gets strong or when this guy gets powerful, it was like, he's already powerful and he's already explosive. Can you imagine, you know, uh, as he continues to work at it, where the potential is here. So I don't want to overhype him and I'm not trying to overhype him, but we're, 
we're cautiously optimistic that he'll be, you know, a real good NHLer. Ted Eisenman just said that Soderblom is a pleasant surprise, and that bodes well for the future. He says Soderblom is just twenty six foot eight, not the tallest player ever. Zdeno Chara is six nine, but I'm sure Red Wing fans could imagine a checking line in a few years: six six Rasmussen, six eight Soderblom. Adam Ernie may or may not be here at that time. He's six one. That's nearly seven hundred pounds. On one line, you don't normally see that too often in the NHL nowadays. But is this going to work with Soderblom? What are your thoughts about what Eiserman has said? And again, where would Soderblom fit in the slotting in the Red Wings roster? Oh, it's tough to tell right now, Mark. But boy, another guy. I mean, you, you just see the development and the potential right now. I mean, he's improved every year. And mm-hmm. like you said, my friend, just the size. I mean, goodness gracious. <laughs> I mean, we're talking about an NBA power forward. I mean, that is so rare. But, I mean, just the way Eisenman talked with him about him at that season-ending press conference, I mean, he didn't shy away from the fact no. this man has a lot of potential. So that was kind of interesting in its own right. I mean, on a surface, you still kind of, kind of probably have to expect him to start the year in Grand Rapids. But boy, just the way this kid has developed over these years, Mark, um, I don't know. Keeps on doing that. It shouldn't take him too long to reach the NHL. And finally, Ted at DetroitNews.com this week, the 25th anniversary of the Red Wings' first Stanley Cup in 42 years, the 1997 Stanley Cup champions who swept the Philadelphia Flyers in four straight games in your story to commemorate the 25th anniversary you singled out 10 of the best memories and highlights from the evening and now as we wrap up this podcast is there anything that stands out after you've written that story a personal reflection to about what that saturday night was like when the wings won their first cup since 1955 I'll tell you what, Mark, a couple of things that came to mind, just you know, reading all my notes and just rereading so much stuff. Mm-hmm. How good was the grind line that playoff season? I mean, that's where the, basically the Draper, Maltby, Kocher, and well, later on, McCartney. McCartney. <laughs> I was looking at Paul McCartney. Yeah. <laughs> here. yeah. But, uh, all right, but that just the way the grind line played. Um, and then, uh, Nick, and just the fact I think a lot of people tend to forget that the Flyers were the favorite heading into this series okay. in a lot of people's mind. I mean, do you agree? I mean, I, you know, I just it was somewhat of an upset that the Wings came through and, my goodness, swept them. Frankly, the Flyers didn't play very well in those four games. I mean, it was quite interesting just looking back on it and just reliving all that. Thanks again, Ted, for today's uh, podcast, episode 72 of our Detroit News, Detroit Red Wings podcast. All your stories are online at DetroitNews.com, as well as on our Octopulse Facebook page, on Twitter, Instagram, Instagram stories, and Snapchat. Thanks again, everyone, for listening, rating, and reviewing the podcast. Ted and I will be back before the NHL draft.